You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Psalm 128, as we take a look at a message entitled, Fatter Fathers. Fatter Fathers. Now, if you have your notes in front of you, notice there are uh, little periods after each of those letters, because we're not talking about a weight increase program here today, uh, but rather some qualities that will um, be helpful for us on Father's Day. Now, I could have preached this message on Mother's Day, but um, I'm a little smarter than a rock, and I know you never entitle a message, Fatter Mothers. Not if you plan to go home at the end of the message. And uh, so I saved this title for this message, although the points will apply to all of us. It's Father's Day. You know, as I was thinking about this uh, this week, uh, my dad's gone to be with the Lord a number of years ago now. Uh, Sue's dad's still here. And think about the uh, privilege we've had. And uh, I truly am a privileged child. Um, when I think about that, not, not privileged child in the sense that, you know, I went to all the best schools and got sent to all these different things, and my mom and dad had a lot of money, and not that kind of privilege, but privileged in a more important way in that I grew up in a house where Jesus Christ was revered, the name of the Lord was lifted up, and truly, um, I was a privileged child. Well, the reality is that fatherhood and fathers are under attack in our society. And uh, even at the risk of using that title as a demeaning thing, because it seems that the role of fathers is uh, being put down. And, and that's not the goal of today. The goal of today is for us to understand the role and understand the commitment and understand the responsibilities that a, a father has. Uh, too many kids are growing up in homes without a fatherly example. Um, it's critical in North America. Over a third of kids live without their dad. They live in a home where dad is not coming home at the end of the day. As a result of some of those things, um, more of those kids, disproportionate, uh, kids end up in jail or being violent or committing violent crimes or committing suicide or running away or quitting school. Dads need to be home. And our society has pushed fathers out, and that's not God's plan. It's not what he desires. And so the epidemic that's going on in our world truly cannot go on in the church. And so today we want to make a special focus towards our fathers. We want to be thankful for them. We want to rejoice in them. And today, if you are one, I want to challenge you. And if you're hoping to be one one day, I want to maybe set some framework for some things that will help you on the journey. And we're going to take that, um, launching from Psalm 128. So let's stand together as we read this psalm, as uh, we honor God, as we read his word. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your lives. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, we've been uh, studying and examining and seeing and being encouraged and exhorted in all kinds of areas around the family. 
taken a look at the responsibility to fight for our family. We've taken a look at the responsibility of motherhood and how to raise kids and what is a family. And today, Lord, we um, launch into a message about fathers. And though, Lord, although the title may be about fathers, the principles here go for all of us. So would you uh, take your word and use it powerfully in this place. Do in our hearts and in our minds what only you can do. The hard-hearted person who's here today, Lord, would you break them in Jesus Christ? The person who's desiring to grow, Father, would you build them up in their faith? The, the one who is struggling, would you encourage? Or would you go before us in this message? Use it for your fame and for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can take your place. And I want to look at a number of things today. And as I mentioned, we're going to launch it out of uh, Psalm 128. Um, the first thing I want us to sta- understand is your standing as a father, but for all of us, we've, we've seen this when we uh, talked about mothers, we talked about families, we talked about marriage, we talked about the reality that we are under God. We need to remember who is in control. Um, you are not the king of your castle. You are not the one who reigns in your home. Um, God does. And, and when we get that wrong, we get so many other things wrong. When we put ourselves on the throne, who are we taking off of the throne? We're taking the Lord off of the throne. And he deserves the primary seat. He deserves that. Under authority. Your understanding is that you are under God. Look what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 128. He said, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his way. You shall not eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Verse three, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around you. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Fears the Lord. A fear is the foundational piece of God, is the foundational piece for all of us. It's the foundational piece in your individual life. It's the foundational piece in your marriage. It's the foundational piece for your family. We're taught we need to fear the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the church, we tend to make it mean about awe and reverence and God is on the throne and you are on earth. And and that's all true. And we're going to see that in just a few minutes as we go along. But uh, there's another part of fear the Lord that we have to hold on to. And that's be afraid. Fear the Lord. When Paul was talking about um, communion in 1 Corinthians, he said, some of you are asleep. Some of you have even died. need to fear the Lord. Because he is in heaven. And you are on earth. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. I am a man of unclean lips. He feared the Lord. We need to fear God. We need to fear God in his sovereignty. Fear God in his sovereignty. In Job chapter 23, 13 to 16, it says this. But he is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I'm not silenced because of the darkness, nor because of the thick darkness that covers my face. 
for he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. God is sovereign. God is in control. He knows the beginning from the end. He wasn't surprised that you got up and came to church today. He, he won't be surprised at what happens tomorrow. It's not like God is in heaven. Some people think God really isn't all sovereign and all powerful. And the world's kind of revealing itself. And then he just kind of catches up with it as we go along. No. He knew you before you were formed. He made you. He is sovereign. And he is in control. Fear God because he is sovereign. Fear and sovereignty. The second one is fear and judgment. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So yes, fear is about reverence and awe. But it's about understanding who God is and that he is the judge and he will judge. If you're not in Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, one day you're going to stand before him and give an account for what has happened in your life. You need to be afraid. If you've trusted Christ by faith alone and understanding God's grace, you sit in your seat with great confidence today. Not because of who you are. You're just a wretched sinner like I am. But a person who's been saved by the grace of God. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. God will judge Last night there was a man in our service and at the end of the service uh, he came up and I told one of the people at the front of his prayer he said, uh, tonight during the message I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, what was it about the message? Here's kind of what he said. I'm paraphrasing because I wasn't there. But he said, here's what I heard. Blah, 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 blah. God will judge. You will give an account The Lord Jesus Christ died for you. You put your faith in Jesus Christ alone and you will be saved. Blah, 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 blah. You see, God took him in that part of the message and did business in his life and he put his faith in Christ alone for his salvation. For God loved the world so much he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And if you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to uh, fatherhood and principles in your life, you set that all aside. You need Christ today. You need to come to the place in simple faith where you put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Not about you, not about what you can do, not about how good you think you are. Because that's all like filthy rags as God looks at it. But he offered his son Jesus Christ, which takes us from the fear of Oh my goodness, I'm afraid of God to the fear of, oh my goodness, God is awesome. Fear him in sovereignty, fear him in judgment, fear and wisdom. Psalm 111.10 says, fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of God is what leads to wisdom. See, we get all caught up in thinking we can figure it all out and we can do it all ourselves and If any man lacks wisdom, what? Let him ask God. 
Ask God. You don't know what to do with your kids. You don't know what to do in your family. You don't know what to do with your job. You don't know. See, what most of us do is we make a plan and we work hard at our plan and we spend no time on our knees before the Lord. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. Fear and sin. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the ways of evil, and perverted speech I, I hate. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of, of God. The fear of God will keep you from sin. Trying harder won't keep you from sin. Trying harder might be successful for a day or so, but until you have a right understanding of who God is, until he is in the right place on the throne in your life, you're not going to have victory in the areas of sin in your life where you're feeling defeated. And I face it. We face it every day. Sin comes when we want what we want more than we want what God has for us. When we want what we want more than we understand God and his character. The fear of God will keep you from sin. The fear of God will cause you to repent. Proverbs 16, 6 says, The steadfast love and faithfulness iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord one turns away from evil talked about this before. The battle is for your mind. Repentance isn't just, oh my goodness, I stole the chocolate bar. I have to stop doing that. So you go this way. I'm not going to do it. 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 But you never change your mind. You never really change your mind. You never really understand what your sin is in light of who God is. And if you want to stop doing the thing that it is for you, it's when you change your mind about those things. And you can only change your mind about it when God is the centerpiece of the decisions you're making. Then we fear punishment. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father and the son in whom he delights. Romans eleven twenty two. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness in you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. The kind of godly fear we desire is a kind of fear that understands that God loves his children. And sometimes he has to reprove us and sometimes he has to correct us and Sometimes he needs to do the hard work in our lives, just like a a loving father would. And the last one, fear and love. See, the fear of the Lord may be the beginning of wisdom, but at the end is love. 1 John 4, verse 17 and 18 says, By this is love perfected, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is or also are we in, excuse me, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And we love him because he first loved us. No greater love than this than a man would lay down his life for his friend. When we understand the fear of God in the context of his love for us, 
That puts us in the right place. It helps us to understand our position under God. The psalmist understood. Behold, thus the man is blessed who fears the Lord. Well, that's our our standing under God. What's our role? Uh, Dads, what's your role? What's the things that you are to do in your life? You bear a primary responsibility to lead your family. And you do it in a partnership with your spouse. But you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account. So, so what are some of the primary things that you are to do? Here's the first one. It has nothing to do with your children. It has everything to do with your wife. And that is you love her. Love her. You love her. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5, we're not going to look it up today, you can, in verses 20 right through to the, uh, the end of that section, and it talks about submitting, mutual submission, talks about wives submitting uh, to their husbands, and it says, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Now, I would say that I would do a pretty good job at that if that's where the verse ended. If it was just love your wives, I'd go, yeah, give myself a little check mark on that, doing okay. Give myself a B plus probably. Love your wife. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Oh my goodness. The B plus is gone. And only by God's grace will I get a passing grade. But love your wife like Christ loved the church. And Father, if you want to lead your family well, you will lead your family well when under God you love your wife and you love her like Christ loved the church and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, that's impossible. I can never do it. Well, you'll never do it completely, but you can do it progressively. You can continue to grow in this and, and be thankful to God that you aren't where you used to be. No, you're not where you should be, but you're on a journey. It's called sanctification and you do it as you lead your family. But under God, your first priority is to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wife. Maybe you need to go home from here today on Father's Day and uh, sit down with your wife and, and apologize and ask for forgiveness and ask her to bear with you and be your helper. What a great gift that would be. Here's the next thing. You're to provide for your family. And Paul wrote in 1 Timothy some very heavy words about this. He said, 1 Timothy 5, 8, 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, read what it says? He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you don't provide for your family, you have denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, there are times when we go through life where we don't have all of the things that we want. God never promised us all of the things that we want. He promised to supply to all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Fathers, that's your responsibility. Provide the needs for your family. There's all kinds of different ways that can happen. There's ingenious ways that can happen, the way you work and all the rest of it. But you have a responsibility to take care of your, your family. 
I think of families who've been in our church who've struggled and, and they're afraid to come and ask the church for help. Well, why? That's what we're here for. And if that's a way that God can use to help meet the need of your family, swallow your pride and get in here and, and let us help you. Let us be part of the solution in this. But you have to provide for your family their needs. And not the extra boat, not the hot tub in the backyard, not the three-car garage, not the, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Father, if you don't do that, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's a thing that we're supposed to demonstrate in our world to show them our love for our family and our caring for them and the priority that they have. Provide for your family. Instruct your children. Train up a child in the way he should go and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 says. It's a proverb. It's a proverb. It's not a promise. It's a principle. And when you pour into that principle with all of your heart, your kids... They will remember. And you say, well, no, we tried to do that and, and our kids haven't turned out the way we like and, and they're not walking with the Lord. And are you giving up? Are you giving up? The verse says, train up a child the way he goes. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, they will remember. They will be stirred by it. And you trust God for what he can do in restoring and bringing them back to the place where they should be. And you continue to be faithful, but you have a responsibility to instruct your children. In, in most homes still, although it's changing, in most homes still, mom is spending way more time with the children than dad is. Dad's out at his job all day long doing the easy stuff. Mom is at home working with the kids, doing the hard job. And most of the instruction happens that way. But it doesn't give you a pass, Dad. It doesn't give you a pass. You don't get to come home and just throw your feet up and relax. And Your children are a gift from the Lord. They are to be treasured. Your priority for them after your relationship with God and after your relationship with your wife is, is critical. You need to pour into them and instruct them. You need to exhort and encourage them. 1 Thessalonians 2.11 says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhort each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. So you encourage, you train your children, you charge them you, to walk in a manner worthy of God. The most important thing you can teach your kids is not the kind of school you want them to go to or the kind of degree you want them to have. The most important thing you can invest into your kids is not the sports program you can get them into. Uh, those things aren't wrong in and of themselves, but they become so wrongly prioritized when we don't teach them to walk worthy of the Lord. The greatest gift you can give to your children is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I challenge you. Last week, I believe it was, do, do your kids know your testimony? Have they heard how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Encourage them. Spur them on to know it and hear it and understand what God has done in your life and the, the journey that it's been and the hard times there have been. And it's got to be age appropriate, all of that, but making sure they understand what God has done in your life. Encourage them so that they will walk worthy and walk worthy of the Lord. Don't provoke your children, Ephesians 6, 4 says. 
Discipline your children. Hebrews 12, 7. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so dads, you have a responsibility in this. I remember my mom saying this. You just wait till your father gets home. Yeah, that was kind of like a fear thing too. You wait till your father gets home. It's like, oh boy, oh boy, this is not going to be good for me. When dad gets home, I am nowhere to be found, nowhere to be seen because I know mom's going to tell him and he's going to, Paul, get up here. And it's like, I want to be out of his voice range because I know it's coming. Um, and, and it wasn't, wasn't a, it seldom was physical. It was mostly getting a tuning and getting fixed and understanding. And dad, you need to stand with your wives in these things. They're pouring into the kids all day long. And you have to be saying the same things. And when you don't agree, you need to get aside and spend time with each other and get on the same page. But dad, you have a responsibility to discipline your children for their good. But, but, but what if they don't respond the way I want? Hey, you do what God calls you to do and you let him take care of the pieces. You be faithful to what God wants and you allow him to work. Yeah, I can remember lots of times when I would maybe even say, you don't love me. You wouldn't do this if you love me. They did it because they loved me. We have our understanding that we're under God. We have our role. The great news is we have a great help. We have a great help. This thing of uh, being a father, you're not in it alone. In in Romans chapter 8, verses um, 26 and 27, we have this truth. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I'm not in this thing alone. I'm not in this relationship with my wife. I'm not in it alone. I'm not in this relationship with my children and trying to help them in a very complex day that we live. I'm not in it alone. God is for me and God is with me. He says, I'll never leave you. I'm, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you out there on your own. I will go before you. I will be your helper. I will be your strength. As I mentioned earlier in the message, we, we get into our lives and get doing all of our things and, and we're trying to fix the stuff and, and we come home and there's a problem in the home or, or whatever it is. And if you're like me, you're on, well, let's get this fixed. Let's get this fixed. We don't ever pray about it. Or seldom do we fall on our knees before God asking him to help us. And when our kids are struggling, we spend more time crying out to them than we spend crying out to God, who is our help. God is your help. He's a very present help in time of trouble. God is my help. My spouse is my help. Oh man, is that true in my life? What an amazing helper 
God has given me. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I think it was the Lord knew how badly we would mess everything up if we were alone. He said, I will make him a helper fit for him. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's not a slave. It's not a servant. He took a rib from Adam's side and made someone to come alongside of him to be a helper for him. And that's what God has given to every one of us as husbands in our spouse. He's given us a helper so we can do this together. And then one more, your help. You have a community. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. I don't know what's in the water around here, but there seems to be a lot of babies being born in our church. And as a result of that, um, we tend to be doing a number of uh, what we call baby dedications, really family dedications. And uh, we, we need to make sure we got the baby's name, some coming up in the next little while. And the, we have the picture of the baby and, and uh, maybe what the uh, special verse for that child is. And, and we do all of that and understand that the major responsibility before God is for mom and dad. But at the end of every one of them, we stand together as a church and we have a prayer that we pray for them. And part of that is our commitment together to help one another. And that's what we seek to do. And we seek to do it through our ministries. And we seek to do it through, um, through our small groups. As people are struggling, one of the things about intergenerational small groups that's so amazing is that the younger can learn from the older. Hey, by the way, if you read your Bible, you'll find out that's exactly what it tells us to do. And so people who've been down the path, who have a little bit more experience, who we have help. We have help. Well, that leads us to the last part, and that's your opportunity. This is the fatter part. Your opportunity. You have an opportunity and a responsibility to be faithful. The F in fatter stands for faithful. Synonyms for that word would be loyal, constant, true, devoted, unswerving, steadfast, dedicated, trustworthy, dependable, reliable. Be faithful. Why? Well, because the example of that for you is God himself. But you, O Lord, are a God of mercy and grace, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your Faithfulness. We need to be faithful. Why? Because God is. And God is to you. And therefore, because of all that he's done for you, if you have nothing else to think of today, you go back to the day you were saved and you be faithful to him. He's faithful. He's going to bring the things to completion in his way, in his will, for his glory. You be faithful to him. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to your spouse. Yeah, faithful in the whole sexual part, for sure. But faithful in other ways. Faithful in your commitment to loving. Faithful faithful in your commitment to caring for your spouse. Faithful in your commitment to thinking the best of them. Faithful in your desire to forgive and to seek forgiveness. Be faithful. Be faithful to your children. They're a gift from God. 
their heritage from the Lord. And we are to steward our families well. And we're to do it faithfully. Well, how can we do that? Well, one of the ways is by being available. That's the next letter, faithful, available. Um, I wrote down some words, time, talent, treasures, your service of them. Being available with whatever you've got. Think of the uh, little boy with the the loaves and the fishes, 5,000 people. And Jesus is going to feed them. And the the disciples are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the little boy, he brings what he has. He makes himself available. And they take that little lunch and they feed 5,000 people with baskets of food left over at the end. That kid's eyes are bugging out through that whole thing. My little lunch? My little lunch? Because he was available. And he used what he had and he gave it to the Lord. And the Lord took it and he multiplied it and he blessed it. And Are you available to the Lord for your family? Are you available with your time? And with your talents and with the treasures? Are you available to them with your passion? Your passion for your family or you get home and you're so tired and you're, you're on the couch and, and they don't see the passion in your life. We get passionate about the strangest things. The uh, Stanley Cup has uh, just finished. And uh, uh, the other night, the uh, game went into overtime. That would have been on uh, Friday night. And um, I said to Sue, let's go to bed. And she said, they're going into overtime. And I said, I got a wedding rehearsal tomorrow. I got three services. Beth and Josh are moving. And a wedding on Sunday afternoon. We need to go to bed. Now, let me explain something to you. That happened because the Los Angeles Kings were playing against the New York Rangers. I was cheering for the Kings, but only because I could never cheer for the Rangers. If the Toronto Maple Leafs had been playing, oh, Lord, help us, maybe one day that will happen before I die, (laughs) I would have stayed up because I would have been way more passionate about that. But once they were out, they've been playing golf for so long now, they can't even remember what a hockey stick looks like. So then my, my, my loyalties went to um, the Boston Bruins. I got a picture of Bobby Orr in my office, a signed picture from him. I, I love the Boston Bruins after the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Chicago Blackhawks. But once they were out, pfft, it really didn't matter. I can get it on the news tomorrow. I don't need to stay up until 1.30 to find out who won the game. Because I wasn't that passionate about those two teams. Uh, poor George, his um, Greece, team from Greece in uh, the soccer <laughs> was playing Colombia the other day. And, and uh, thank you for the Colombians in the room. Rejoice, rejoice. And <laughs> console George after the service. His son was telling like, Dad, like, what's with you? Like, you're pretty excited about this. And, and Greece was playing. Soccer's a game you play if you can't skate. George is passionate for Greece. The Colombians are passionate for Colombia. The Brits, sorry for you. Um, We are passionate about things. Are you passionate for your kids? Are you available to them in that kind of passion, the kind of screaming and shouting you do for a crazy sporting event? God's entrusted to you children. Are you available to them? Are you passionate for them. Faithful, available, teachable. Teachable says it's not about me. 
Pride is the great barrier to teachability. So often in my life, as I'm trying to work something out, Sue and I are trying to work something out, I I keep coming back to, God is constantly fixing me. I think she's the problem. I'm trying to work it out, and I find out God is fixing me all of the time. That's a great place to be. Having a teachable spirit, willing to hear and willing to listen. The struggle with that is, When you move from being teachable to not being teachable anymore, you don't really ever see that shift happening. And you think you're teachable, but you've stopped listening. You've made up your mind. And if people are saying things to you like you're not listening, you're not hearing, you're not getting it, God's word says this, you're not teachable anymore. You just set aside your pride and your own arrogance and what you want and Seek what the Lord has for you. Proverbs 9.19 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. We weren't allowed to say stupid in our house because it's such a strong word. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, he who repates teaching and growth is stupid. Faithful, available, teachable, thankful. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Rejoicing and gladness and thankfulness for what God has given you in your family. And then and, and give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. Hey, families, moms and dads, parents, young adults. We need to learn to give thanks in all situations. All situations, even in the hard things, even in the hardest things to stop and make a list of what you're thankful for and express that. Your kids need to hear it. They, they don't need to hear the wah, wah, wah all the time and the whining about how tough your life is. Hey, we're in the top five percentile in the world. We've got it made in Canada. Be thankful and let your kids hear it. And let them see that when the things are hard, we still rejoice and we still thank the Lord. Be thankful, faithful, available, teachable, thankful. Uh, Be an example. Be an example in your faithfulness. Be an example in the way you discipline your kids. Be an example in your work ethic. Be an example in the way you demonstrate to your kids the priority of getting together for worship, whether that's in your home or in the church. But uh, be an example. Paul said in Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Mimic God. 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me even as I am of Christ, Paul said. And just a verse before that in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Be an example. The last one is be real. Be real. Be real in your character and be real in your compassion. Be real in your, compa- in your character. Do what you say you will do. Let your word be your word. Your yes be yes and your no be no. When you promise your kids you're going to do something, don't let other things get in the way of it. 
You make a promise, keep your promise. Be real in your character for them so they see an an honest example of of the way we ought to live our lives because they're not going to see it in the world. Will you do it perfectly? No, you won't do it perfectly. But then your character will step up and say, I messed up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Be a person of character. Let no one despise you for your youth, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. But set the believers an example in your speech and in your conduct and in your love and in your faith and in your purity. He also wrote in Titus 2.7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. Be real in your conduct. But then he put, be real in your compassion. Be real in your compassion. Psalm 103.13 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I wrote down in my notes, real men do cry. Yeah, you don't have to have tears. And for some people, tears come more easily than for others. And, but so often, we've, we're on this, we've got to be strong. We've got to be strong. Because if they ever see weakness in us, that would be a failure, really. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The, the, uh, the prophets all through the Old Testament wept as they saw the cities and saw the destruction and saw the... Are you compassionate you show passion out there for your kids and for your family? When they do well, when they do well, do you show compassion for them? And are you passionate for them and what they're doing well in? And when they're struggling, do you come alongside? Do you hurt with them and feel for them and, and encourage them on? And Showing compassion. The world's full of pretenders. We need to man up. We need to be real. We need to show the tender heart that we have for our children. The sense of responsibility that God has given to us to raise our children to honor the Lord and to know him. You need to be a fatter father. Being faithful, available, teachable, thankful. Be an example. And be real. Well, so what? We began this series, Battleground, Fight for Your Family in Nehemiah 4, 14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers and for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your home. A battleground fight for your family. We're called to do it before God. We're called to be faithful in it. And take the things that we've heard today and how will you fight for your family? How will God God be glorified through what you've heard in this place today from his word, for the fame of his name, for the honor of Jesus Christ, the Lord? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the psalmist who taught us Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Because you are awesome. You are God. You are in control. You are the one who saves. You are the one who judges. You are the one who forgives. You are the one who 
who poured it all out so we could have eternal life. Lord, we're not in this alone. We've got a job that is too much for us, but you will go for us. We have with us. We have a helper beside us, and we have a church to support us. Make us men and women who are faithful, available, teachable, thankful, examples in real, not only before our families, but before you for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.